turn in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We'll start right there. The notes that we gave out last week, uh, we got halfway through last week, we're going to continue this week. Heather, good to see you. Give Heather a big hand. Good to see all of the rest of you too, but Heather's been sick, and it's good to see you back. It really is. How are you doing? All right? Good. We've been running out of the notes. Uh, it's very, very hard to guess how many are going to go. If I put 30 out, there's 10 left. If I put 40 out, they all go. I can't work you out. <laughs> so if the notes go, don't blame me, it's your fault. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> but there's, there's 40 more there just in case. So if you haven't got a copy, you want one, that's great. Well, you can grab one. We're going to start halfway through this morning. Um, we've, been, we've been looking at Revelation probably in a different way than many of you have been used to looking there. Um, many of you have looked at Revelation. If you've ever looked at it, ever thought about it, ever listened to anything on it, uh, you've been focusing more... Uh, probably on end-time events rather than what the book is actually saying. But what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is what is the book of Revelation saying to us today? What was it saying to them 2,000 years ago? What is it saying to us today? What is it therefore saying to you as an individual? And let's look at the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We're not going to go very much over what we've talked about before. I intend to finish before 11.30 today, so I'm going to move. Not that I've got anywhere to go, but I just feel like it. Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. And in that little passage there, you've got the whole book of Revelation encapsulated in just a very, very short form. What John is going to cover in this book, he's covered in those few verses there. And this morning, we're going to pick it up from verse 4 onwards. Paul is giving, uh, sorry, John is giving an introduction. He's giving the, the, the normal um, Greek, if you like, introduction to a letter. And if you read John's, uh, Paul's letters, they all start the same way. He says who he's writing to, and he says grace and peace to you. And he, he talks about who he's writing from. And he normally says something about them and something about the God he's writing on behalf of. And, and that is exactly what John is doing here. 
But we picked up last time, we looked at that first little greeting, grace and peace to you from him. Grace and peace to you. The word grace means goodwill or favor or mercy. Now remember who he's writing to. The people who are listening to this letter are people who are suffering. They're not having an easy time at all. They're going through intense persecution. And yet the first thing he says to them is grace, goodwill, mercy, favor be to you. Now, they didn't feel very gracious. They didn't feel that grace was going on in their lives. But he's declaring over their lives right at the beginning, grace to you. And he says, peace, prosperity, security, safety be to you. They were not feeling very safe. They were not feeling very secure. They were definitely not feeling very prosperous. And yet he's declaring that over their lives right at the outset. And he's saying something to them, and he's saying something to us. That no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is going on in our experience, God is above that. God is able to exceed and excel above what we see and what we're experiencing. And for many of us, our world is what we see. That's, the, some, that's like the fence around us is the, is, the, is the world we see, the circumstances we are in. If you, feel, if you are sick, that is everything to you. You just, sickness surrounds you. Isn't that right? You got the flu. You got the man flu, guys. You know, your world has fallen apart, isn't it? You, you're just, you're just, oh. nothing's good. Everything's bad because we live in the world in which we see. But what God is trying to say here is there is so much more than what we see. There is so much more than what we're experiencing. God is above and beyond all of that. And so he starts this and he says, grace and peace to you. People who are struggling, grace and peace to you. People who are in in torment, grace and peace to you. Because God is above what you are seeing. And then he moves on and shows two things that cause this to take place in our lives. Grace and peace is experienced by us as we experience a shift in our thinking. And I want you to understand that this morning. The God of grace is with you all the time. The God of peace is with you all the time. But for you and I to experience that, there needs to be a shift in our thinking. We need to begin to open our eyes to see who our God really is. And we need to open our eyes to see who we really are. As we have a shift in our thinking and begin to see God for who He really is, and as we have a shift in our thinking and begin to see ourselves for who we really are, God's grace and God's peace becomes more evident to us. We begin to experience it in our daily lives because our thinking shifts from the constricted circumstances we are in to the eternal greatness of our God. So this morning we're going to look at this, knowing who our God is. Let's look at verse 4. He says, grace and peace to you from, and now he begins to talk about the God who is on their side, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And we just sort of treat that like a doxology. You know what a doxology is? It's a, it's a, a thing that's repeated over and over and over again, like a mantra. But it's not a mantra. This is truth this morning. From him who is and who was and who is to come. And he's saying something about their God and our God this morning. He's saying that God was before us. 
Before you existed, God was. Before these people existed, God was. Before this world existed, God was. From the God who was, God is above. He's beyond everything we see. He was existent before everything we have. He's the one who was. And we need to understand that God is eternal. He's not limited. He's not limited by your circumstances and my circumstances. He's not limited by our emotions. He's not limited to what we are going through. He was before that. Before any of it ever happened, he was. He's the God who is. God is now in the middle of your circumstances and mine. He's in the middle of our problems. He's in the middle of our joys. God is. He was, yes, he was in in, in the past, but he is right now. God is right in the middle of your world. And he's saying to these people in in Asia, he's writing to, even though your world is dark and difficult, God is in the middle of it. God is. Just because things are dark doesn't mean light doesn't exist. And God is to come. Not that he's going to go away and come back again. It's, he's saying he's the eternal God. He was, he is, and he is to come. And he doesn't change in each one of those realms. He, the same God who was is the God who is, and he's the same God who is to come. God is eternal. God is great. He's greater than you. He's greater than I. He's greater than our circumstances. He's greater than our pain. He's greater than our difficulties. He's greater than our triumphs. And we experience grace and peace when we learn to fix our eyes on the eternal God. We experience grace and peace when we learn to bring the God who was and is and is to come into our reality. As he becomes central where we are, we begin to experience the grace and peace that should be ours all the time. If we're not experiencing grace, favor, goodwill, mercy, if we're not experiencing peace, prosperity, security, safety, we have not brought the God who was, is, and is to come into our world. But not just God the Father. The book of Revelation is the most Trinitarian book of the whole Bible. The Trinity is hinted at in the rest of the Bible, but in Revelation, it's broadcast loud and clear. Grace and peace to you from him who was, is, was, and is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11 talks about the, the sevenfold spirit of, of, of God. It talks about the, the spirit of the Lord, and it talk, goes the spirit of wisdom. The spirit, and it goes through the seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is before the throne of God. Not just the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace and peace comes from all three. We don't take the one we like and leave the other two. We have the whole package. You can't say, oh, I'm not too keen on this Holy Spirit thing. You have the lot or you have none. Grace and peace comes from all three. All three are before the throne. All three are God. 
And now he moves on to talk about who Jesus Christ is because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is the revelation of who Jesus is. So he begins to expound this, and it, it will happen over and over as we continue this over the next few weeks. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. We're just going to talk about these as we go. Jesus is the faithful witness. You know what the word witness is also translated? Martyr. Jesus is the faithful martyr, the faithful one who laid down his life for you and I. But he also, in laying down his life, is a witness to the greatness of God and the love of God in your life. Jesus is not just the one who's laid his life down, he's faithful. He is faithful, people. He is faithful to his word. He is faithful to you. He is faithful to keep his promise. He's trustworthy. It saddens me when, when God's people sometimes talk about God not coming through for them. God letting them down. God will never let you down. We take ourselves out of seeing what God has done for us because our eyes shift, but God never lets you down. Jesus Christ is faithful today, tomorrow, and in the future and in the past. He is always, he remains faithful. His name is faithful. Not only is he faithful, he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen. We've sung it already. He's risen. He's alive. We don't worship a dead Savior. We worship a risen Savior. Jesus is risen. Many Christians look like he's dead. <laughs> but he's risen. He's alive. Oh, I feel dead, but Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. That means you also are going to rise. He was the firstborn. He went first. You're going to follow. When a Christian dies, they don't die. They just go into another realm. They rise into the realm they were always born to be in. Mm. You think your dead ones are just asleep waiting for you, don't you? Oh, no. They have entered into the glory of what they were designed for. Praise God. This world is what, not what it's about. Our destiny is what it is all about. He is the firstborn from the dead. Moves on. And he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, it's very, very interesting that John should say this, because the Roman, the Roman Empire at the time was the one that declared that the emperor was God. Nero, Domitian, and all of those emperors were declared to be God. You had to worship them as God. If you didn't worship them as God, you were put to death. You were persecuted. The persecution came on the church because the church refused to accept the emperor's God, refused to bow down to the emperor's God. If you didn't bow down to the emperor's God, you didn't eat, you didn't live. And here John is declaring boldly right out there, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus Christ is king. People this morning, Jesus Christ 
is king. He's king in your world. He's king in this earth. It doesn't matter what governments do. It doesn't matter what Trump does. It doesn't matter what the, our government in New Zealand does. It doesn't matter what, the, what, what any one world government does, if there is ever going to be such a thing. Jesus Christ is king. Always has been, always will be. Jesus is on his throne. You might not feel like he's on his throne. It doesn't matter what you feel. The fact is, he is. Jesus rules. Jesus rules in your life. Jesus rules in this church. Jesus rules in the city. Jesus rules in this nation. Jesus rules over the nations of the earth. He is on the throne. That means also, verse 6, Well, move not before we get there. He is ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, we'll get to this in a minute, made us to be a king, kingdom and priest, to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. All glory, all power belongs to Jesus. He has all power right now. We are not waiting for a time to come when the power of God will be released. His power is available now. Some of you aren't too sure. His power is as great now as it was when the world was created and as it will be in the end of time. His power has never changed we change. His glory has never changed. We change. We lower our eyes down to the darkness and no longer are blinded by the light. Ooh, that hurt. Daniel shifted the lights because uh, we had a worship team meeting and we... we decided that you couldn't see the people on the stage, so shifted the lights so you can see us. Now we can't see you. <laughs> All I can see right now is light. Do you know what? That's what we should be seeing. <laughs> That's what our lives should be. We should be continually blinded by the light of the sun. Not the worldly sun, but the Son of God. But our problem is we are so used to looking at darkness that we don't even, aren't even aware that the sun's there. It's time to lift up our eyes. All power, all glory belongs to Jesus. He has it in your life now. He has it in your world now. He has it in your circumstances now. He has it in the circumstances that you will come into in five years' time. All glory, all power. It never changes. It never dims. All glory and all power is his forever. Verse 7, this one should excite you. Look, he's coming back. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. You can't see him now, but one day every eye is going to see that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every eye is going to be opened. And those that have refused to believe that Jesus is Lord will finally see that they were wrong. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be one of those who open, whose eyes are open. I think, oh dear, those Christians were right. Those stupid queer people were actually right. <laughs> the day is going to come when that is going to happen. That every eye will be opened. Everyone will see 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Why will they mourn? Because they were wrong. So shall it be. Amen. Jesus is coming again. When is he coming again? Doesn't matter. The fact is, he is. This was written 2,000 years ago, and I'm sure when they heard it, they thought, oh, praise God, he's coming, he's going to get us out of this. He didn't. But he will. I want to give you something to bend your mind. When you pass into eternity, Jesus has come. It's all over, Rover. We're all there. won't go that too much, it'll totally confuse you. In the realm where God lives, everything's happened. It's all done and dusted. God is not surprised by what goes on in your life, it's already happened. It happened at the beginning of time. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, we're going to get to that. Right from the time the world was created, Jesus was already crucified. Because God's realm is the realm of eternity. We just live so narrowly. Our little world is so small. My water's just gone. <laughs> I already spat in it. Never mind. Our, our world is so narrow. It's so small. And you know what? We shrink our God. You, you can't concentrate now. You're just thinking about it. We, we shrink our God down to our world. People, that is our problem. We shrink our God down to our little, narrow, confined, little world. And so our God is such a narrow, little, confined, little God, but he's not. And it's time we allowed him to burst out of that confined, narrow little space that our world is in and begin to see him as he really is. Whew. Jesus is coming back. There's nothing more certain. Nothing more certain. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. That's, that, that's just the, the Greek alphabet. Alpha, the beginning. Omega, the end. First letter, last letter. God starts things and God finishes things. And God is in between every one of those things. It starts with God. It finishes with God. The great of this world think it's all about them. The, the black caps, when they win tonight, will think it's all about them. If you're English, I'm sorry for you. The All Blacks think it's all about them. Bob thinks it's all about him. Our little worlds, our little worlds are so full of us, but you know what? It's not about us. It's not about our little confined space. It's all about him. And it's time we lifted our eyes to see the realm in which God lives. Begin to see him for who he is. See him in, in your circumstances. See him as over our circumstances. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He starts it. He finishes it. And it says it again. 
who was, is and was and is to come. The past is filled with him. Your past is filled with him, whether you knew he was there or not. Our present is filled with him. Whether you feel him or not, your present is filled with him. And our future is going to be filled with him. God is in all and of all and through all. And this miserable little world thinks it's got it all under control. And we don't understand that God is over it all. He's the Almighty. Was and is and is to come. He's the Almighty. God is the absolute and universal sovereign. There's none higher than Him. You are not higher than Him. Your family line is not higher than Him. Your culture is not higher than Him. No king on this earth, no ruler on this earth is higher than Him. He is the Almighty. And here John is announcing to the Roman government, God rules over you. You think you're powerful. You are nothing. You think you have this world in your hands. You are nothing. God is above. God will overshadow. God overpowers. You are answerable to him. You think you're getting away with things in your life, but you will have one day answer to him. He's the Almighty. That's the God we serve. Folks, he's not little. You don't bring him to church with you. You know, there's a silly saying, you know, when you reach, reach, go to 110 k's an hour, God gets out of the car. God can't get out of your car. He's in everything. God's in every car and out of every car. He's everywhere. You don't take him places and put him in the corner and say, there you are, God, you sit there and be a good boy. <laughs> but that's how we treat him. We treat him like we carry him around and he does our bidding. And we ask for this and we ask for that and we get annoyed with him when he doesn't answer. We've got a God that's shrunk into our size. He says, people, I'm bigger than you. In fact, it's not about you, it's about him. Do you know your life's not about you? It's about him. Every now and again, I ask God to do something to please me. He goes real quiet. And do you know why he goes real quiet? Because he doesn't exist to please me. He doesn't exist to make me happy. I exist to please him. When Joshua, this isn't in my notes, those who are trying to follow, you've lost already. When Joshua was coming to the city of Jericho, just before they were about to attack the city or walk around the city of Jericho, he goes out alone and he meets a soldier who happens to be the captain of the Lord's host. He tells him that later on. Probably the Lord Jesus Christ. And he meets him and he says, it's an interesting question, listen to it. Joshua says to him, are you for us or are you for them? Pointing over to the Jericho people. And the answer is really interesting. He says, neither. I'm for me. 
I am the captain of the Lord's host. I'm not for you, and I'm not for them. We are. See, it's not about you and I. It's about him. Life is not about you and I. Life is about him. Your future is not about you. It's about him. Our existence is not about us. It's about him. Our church is not about us. It's about him. It's not about us being comfortable. It's about us serving him. Knowing who God is, when we begin to understand who God is, grace and peace becomes more a reality for us because we're filling our world with what is. We're filling our world with the light, not with the darkness. But the second aspect of knowing grace and peace is knowing who we are. Let's go to verse 5. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. Starts to talk about us now. To him who loves us. Agape, love, the purest kind of love. You are loved people. He's talking to people who are suffering. He say, God loves you. And they might say, how can God love me when I am going through this? He wants you to understand no matter what you are going through, God loves you. You are not in or out of his love. He loves you. Your behavior does not take you in or out of God's love. God loves you. Whether you love him or not, it doesn't alter the fact that he loves you. God loves Donald Trump. Whether you love Donald Trump or not, doesn't matter. God does. God loves Jacinda Ardern. God loves you. And many of us say, oh, I don't feel God loves me. Feeling's got nothing to do with it. He loves you. It's time we begin to see what really is. Folks, no matter what goes on in your life, God loves you. He never stops loving you. We are loved. It's a sacrificial love. Let's move on. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Folks, we've talked about this in Romans. You are free from your sin. If you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has set you free. You no longer need to go back to the past because you are free from that. You see, what we are seeing here is that God is trying to open up our eyes to see what really is rather than restricting ourselves to what we feel. You might not, might not feel free, but in God's eyes, you are free. And it's time we begin to see what God sees and live in what God lives rather than what we see and how we live. Nothing hangs over you. Your past does not hang over you. It hangs over you in your circumstances and the way you feel because you keep it there. But when, from the, way, the, the, the direction in which God is looking, it's gone. Some of you need to hear this this morning. From the direction God is looking, those things that you are so worried about are gone. They're finished. They're dealt with. It's old news. 
I refuse to update Herald Online on my phone. I refuse to pay for it. So now I get old news. And it's always telling me to update. And I say, blow you. I'd rather have old news than no news. Or expensive news. But you know what? Most of the news we're living in is old news. The real news is Jesus set you free. If you're not feeling free this morning, that's old news. The truth is you're free. By his blood, you are forgiven. Now we're getting to the exciting stuff. There's a whole lot of sermons all in one. <laughs> if we took our time, we would never finish this book. He's made us to be a kingdom and priests. Made us to be a kingdom. Not will make us to be a kingdom. Most of us live like that. Oh, one day we will rule and reign with Christ. Wrong. You always have. The moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, you were made to be a king. You are a king this morning. You don't look too excited about that. What does that mean? That means that you and I now rule with Christ. Now. Now you have the authority of heaven on your side. Now. Now you rule over your circumstances. Now. Now you are high and lifted up. Now. Oh, I don't feel it. It's because you're looking down. Now you rule and reign with him. Now. We are kings. We were made to be a kingdom. The church is not a remnant weak and small hanging on to this earth until Jesus comes so that we can finally be everything we were created to be. The church is a kingdom now. So that when we worship this morning, we should be entering into the kingdom we already live in. I only just started. This is going to get more exciting. If you don't like this kind of preaching... Better stay away, because I'm going to get worse. I'm only just getting wound up here. Now we are a kingdom. We are a kingdom, and we are priests. What's the priesthood? The priesthood is all about worship and prayer. The priest's job was to, was to be involved in the worship of God in the temple. The priest's job was to take the prayers of the saints into, into the holy of holies. And, and, and the, the censer was there. And those, that, that represented the prayers of the people. The priest's job was to come before the throne of God on behalf of the people. If the people sinned, the priest's job was to go before God and intercede for them. People... We are priests to this world, for this world. Our job is to come before the throne of God on behalf of the lost of this world. We are kings and we are priests, both together. Melchizedek was probably the only other one. 
But we are now kings and priests. Our job is to rule and reign with Christ, and our job is to intercede. Our job is to worship. Our worship that we took place in this morning was not just four songs. We were actually taking our rightful place as priests before the throne of God. You don't believe me. First Peter, let's finish with this. First Peter 2. I pray like Paul prayed in Ephesians that the eyes of our hearts would be opened. That we would see the greatness. That we would see the depth. That we would see what God has opened for us in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. Prayed it this morning in the prayer meeting before we came in. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into what? A spiritual house to be a what? A holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church. He's writing to you. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen people. You. You are not a mistake. You are not a, a, a mess. You are not a, a, a blot on the landscape. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, kings and priests, Peter's saying, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. People, we are kings and priests, not we shall be. We are now. We rule now. We worship now. This is who you and I are in Christ. Mm. So when you declare... You are declaring something as a king and a priest. Most of us live our lives begging. Hmm? We're beggars. Oh, God. Oh, God, please do this. Please do that. Oh, God, please. Please. Please do this for me. Please. We live our lives begging. That is, we are not beggars. We are kings and we are priests before the throne of God. Doesn't mean that everything you, d you claim you'll get, as some people would preach. But if you are claiming what God claims, it will happen. If you're declaring what God declares, it will happen. If you are speaking what God speaks, it will happen. You are a king and you are a priest before the throne of God and in this world. This world needs us, people. Our worship this morning was doing something, whether you felt it or not. So the message of Revelation 1 to Christians in hardship is that they can know grace and peace. They should know it. They should experience it. That means inner well-being, goodwill, security, and safety. And we can only know that when we know who God is and when we know who we are. When we move out of our constricted, tight, narrow, dark, 
little world and begin to see what really is. Like the prophet servant of old, our eyes are opened and we see that greater is he who is with us than he who is with them. That we begin to see that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Can we have the worship team up? We're going to sing that last song again, Victor's Crown. I want you to sing it with meaning this morning. Because, folks, that is the truth. Not only does Jesus have the victor's crown, not only does he wear the victor's crown, you are kings and priests with him right now. Right now. And this morning, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to take those things which are hard for us. Those things which crowd in upon us. Those things which are darkness to us. And I'd like to take those this morning and expose them to the light of His glory. Because the truth is, Jesus reigns. The truth is, Jesus Christ is Lord. And the truth is that nothing, absolutely nothing, can come against him. Nothing can overpower him. Nothing can stop him. Whether or not you or I experience that is dependent on whether we will lift our eyes or not. But the sun will still keep shining even if we refuse to look at it. But we'll enjoy its heat if we start to look at it. It's time to lift our eyes, people.